thrilled to have you on. Thank you so, so much. I'm gonna do for sure. Oh, we're going to have to figure out the dynamic as well, because we've got three folks on and uh, it's going to be fun. But real quick for our audiences, I want to review. We're in season season two. Um, as we all know, through season one, we, we've spoken to folks in change management, L&D, operations, a broader HR, innovation. And season two began to hyper-focus our attention on this, you know, how do we go from business outcomes to consumerization of the employee experience? And um, within that, over the last couple of weeks, I've had the opportunity to speak with 10 CMOs or their representatives from PR and media teams. It's been an interesting journey. It's been a hit or miss. In some conversations, uh, the CMOs, they light up. Wow. Internal people initiatives? Oh, absolutely. We get it. It helps to drive business objectives that are within the CMO's influence, but also CMO's are within the organization. Their departments are under the influence of what happens with people initiatives. And then there are some CMO's that kind of go, Adam, did you get the right department? I don't think you're in the right place. We really need to send you somewhere else. And I try, I make a case. I just made a case to one of the largest uh, companies in the United States and they said, nope, nope, not at this time. So we have a real treat. We have with us Adam Shore. He is a founder of Rule Number One. And we have John uh, Wallace, who is the principal of Rule One. And these folks, I mean, talk about a bullseye. You both have had CMO experiences in your careers. John, for you, it was with Hyatt, where you've spent 32 years. You were chief marketing officer for six. And Adam with Hello Products and you were the chief marketing and cultural. So the fact that you bring this external into internal, and I need to stop talking because I'm, I'm obviously excited. So we're gonna, we're gonna talk about reimagining HR. We're gonna take on a light topic for today, right? How to sell HR or the future of HR to the CEOs of tomorrow. So we're literally taking two huge functions within the organization and we're saying how will one that's changing cater to the other one that's evolving super quickly. To begin, John, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Let's give our audience just a little bit of the thesis of how we're approaching this. If you don't mind, then we'll kick it over to Adam and I will be jumping in as always with my comments and questions. So it's interesting as that is an introduction because I was thinking back of my days as CMO and my relationship with HR. Uh, we, had a, we had a really good guy who uh, actually, we've spoken about the work we're doing now, um, and um, uh, he was forward-thinking, but I don't think I ever gave him the support that he deserved. And when I think back as to why, I was too busy. It wasn't one of my priorities. Uh, I didn't actually think about how important the internal communication was in actually delivering our external. And although um, Rob Webb, is, is his name, Rob and I had an incredibly good relationship. Um, I think it was far more around the function of HR than it was ever about internal communication and how we could actually um, market internally in, in an entirely different way if we actually shared ideas and shared tools. Uh, so this is why it's become so interesting for me now when I'm on the other side 
actually reimagining what an HR team might look like and what could be the future career development for somebody in HR that I realized that I missed an opportunity. And, and you know, to your credit at that time or your defense at the time, the thinking about the focus of HR and, and you know, the marketing suite, it's entirely different. There was There's almost a wall in between. And HR may, may have been a lot more, as it, for many organizations is, it's resources, it's compliance, it's policy. Um, so Adam, as, as we start the conversation on reimagining HR and kind of my introduction so far, what, what comes to mind for you to set up um, for our conversation? I mean, the, these functions of HR and marketing were created decades ago in a very different world. And the expectations people have today, uh, whether those people are customers or consumers uh, outside of the company or their workers, employees inside of the company, the expectations people have of what they want from organizations has changed. You know, you, you used the phrase before consumerization of, of the HR experience. You know, I, I think John and I would talk about uh, bringing humanity to work uh, and to society in a much more powerful way. So, you know, these, these functions, uh, marketing initially really designed to be a, a, a sales support function uh, and HR really designed for back office, um, you know, payroll and policy and regulatory issues. And when it was employee facing, it was just to make sure, you know, misbehaving employees were brought back in line or, or fired. And today we have an opportunity to create more human experiences. And so much of the power of marketing to drive demand and the power of HR and, in, and internal communications to drive inspiration and the right behaviors amongst the workforce is, is, is new. And that represents a new way of thinking. So we're very excited about bringing that way of new thinking to organizations. I'll put you both on the spot because examples I think are best. Right? When we talk examples you know, from a consumer side, we continue to be blown away. You know, Amazon or you know any of your apps, the way they just meet you where you are exactly in the right moment in time. Uh, Adam, we'll go to you first. Um, just maybe an example of how what we see inside the workplace. Right, is not showing up on the same level or even approaching us as, as humans. This is something we could go on about for many, many days because uh, there, there still is a big gap. So I'll, I'll give you two examples. Uh, one is I was working with a client and they had revamped their employee anniversary program. So basically every five years that you stayed, you would get a gift. And the longer you stayed, the better that gift would be. And so they revamped the program to make it more modern and they used technology. So basically some number of weeks before your anniversary, of course the system would know that because it, it knew your hire date, you would get an email and it would, you know, it would say Adam, but in this case, I mean, Adam, you, not Adam, me, uh, Adam, uh, you know, congratulations on, on reaching your five-year mark. Click here and you can pick your, your gift. And then you'd go and you'd pick. And if you were five, you know, five-year tenure, 
you'd get the cheaper gifts, but if you were 10 years, you'd see nicer stuff and, and so on. And then you just pick the thing you want and it would get mailed to you. But what was lost in that is the tradition of a personal relationship with your manager, of an actual human thanking you for having you know dedicated so many years to the company. And even if you think about gift giving, which is such a central part of humanity, I mean, it's one of the core uh, core functions of, of friendship and social groups is exchange and reciprocity and giving each other things and getting things in return. And that was outsourced to a computer system instead of handled by an actual human. So in some sense, it was progressive in that it was automated and technology driven, but it lost the humanity. And I think that's mm -hmm. one opportunity. I'll give you one more small and silly example, but as silly as it is, I think it's reflective of the bigger way of thinking that's still too prevalent in organizations. So a, a couple of months ago, I moved uh, from New York State to Massachusetts. And so I had to get new health insurance. And so, uh, you know, I called the insurance company I set up my insurance, and because our kids are now living in a different state, they couldn't be on our plan. So they had to get their own insurance plan. And I told my insurance company, you know, we need to remove them from the plan. I get a letter back from them saying, you know, we're acknowledging the termination of your dependence. And I'm just reading this and thinking, you know, I didn't take out a contract on them. I don't want my kids killed or terminated. I just don't want them on my plan anymore. And mm -hmm. it's a bit of language that I'm sure made total sense to them, but it's not human speak. And so mm -hmm. you're seeing that kind of communication, external and internal, all over the place where corporations are talking like corporations with copy that was vetted by legal and all sorts of teams as opposed to just speaking like a human speaks to another human. And I think that's another missed opportunity. What a great example. In fact, uh, it's back to back today. I'm speaking to a CHR of a major healthcare system and happened to, to zone in on that, on that exact example that you brought as in, Hey, there, there's an opportunity here. And, and real quick, you know, one of my first positions in corporate finance, we had a controller that once a month brought everyone together at 8 a.m. And we had to sing happy birthday. And it was pretty ridiculous. 8 a.m. It was a, on a Monday morning. Uh, those whose birthday it is bring the donuts. And then everyone else stands in a circle. And wherever the controller would look, they would be uh, uh, moving their, their lips, I think. Just happy. That was just weird. It was Anyway, well, John, perhaps an example that you can think of. I, I think my best example I always have is that when we're trying to recruit somebody, we sell, tell them every single thing that's wonderful about the company. We get them so overexcited. They're looking forward to joining. And then on the first day they arrive at their job, they get told every single way they can get fired as they go through that induction program. And, and I think about it now, um, what a wonderful opportunity actually for HR and marketing to actually work together, looking at that whole process from when you hire somebody to how you go through the induction program to how you then start communicating with them. And if you think about it, we know so much more about our internal teams than we do about our external. 
yet we spend millions of dollars on our external uh, clients. But if HR asks for $100,000 to put together a really good internal communication program, the CFO says, what do you need that for? Well, there's budgets there, which I think have, can be reappropriated because I would go and argue that actually having an engaged uh, team throughout the organization that thoroughly understands the messages that we're actually sharing with our external clients has to lead to a better organization. Totally agree, John. And, and staying with you, so, so where do we go? Where are we lending this? Uh, are we talking about a new department being created, a new capability? Is this uh, existing capabilities that are coming together in a new way? Uh, kick us off into what would be step one toward building a, 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 better, a better state? I would, if I was in HR today and listening to this, I'd say, God, I need to go and have lunch with the CMO. And I'd have lunch with open arms and say, God, we should be partners. Uh, I never realized this before and I never thought of you as my business partner. I've got masses of issues um, and a massive processes that I take everybody through. I'd love to share them with you and to start getting your insights and to start better understanding how you think about communication, to see how we can see where there's opportunities for us both to work together. And, and, I, and I would also, in HR, say, listen, I suddenly realized something that too often we only communicate the message once and then we never repeat it. Yet I'm certain you in, in, as CMO are repeating often that same message to try and get a consumer to understand what we're doing. So how could I, as a chief, a chief human resource officer, actually revolutionize the way we communicate internally? And if I start doing it too well, look out, I might be after your job as CMO, uh, but I would love to see my, the bigger picture whereby communication, whether it's internal or external, is one team. And you've still got to have what I would call the HR function, which has to continue to take place. But I think the massive opportunity comes within communication. Mm -hmm. The unification of the external and the internal under one, call it function, umbrella, partnership. You know, there, obviously there are probably many ways to approach it. But, it's the but take it even one step further. Take it Please. that step where we look at, so as a marketer, we look at every single step the client takes from the way before they're about to buy something to when they bought it to afterwards. And then how we get them to reorder or how do we actually look at every single step that we communicate with somebody who works with us from the moment we try and hire them to we hire them to their first day, to their first week, to their first three months. And then as, as Adam said, when it, they've done, they get their five-year award, instead of just giving them something, actually going and asking them, what would you like? What could we do for you and your family mm -hmm. that would make a difference where your family would also appreciate the five years that you've been working with us? And, and it, it completely turns around, I think the way we would communicate internally. And I also believe over time, 
as the CMO begins to really understand the power of internal mm -hmm. communication, you'd be surprised how they might be able to find some slush fund or some real where they could actually start putting some more money behind systems and processes of being at good at communicating with the internal employees as they are with their loyalty programs. You know, can I jump in here for a second, Adam? There are a couple of, I think, fallacies or old ways of thinking that are getting in the way for us. So one is for too long, we've thought of brand as this kind of manufactured object, this, this thing we create through advertising, through other marketing uh, technical means. And it's this thing called brand. And it's not exactly the same as the company. And it's certainly not the same as us, the humans that work on it. And we've created it. We own it. It's an asset. I mean, legally, it, it, it is an, an owned asset. And we manage that. So that's one fallacy. In reality, uh, the brand is what people think it is. It's how people relate to you and your offering and your company and potentially even the people behind the brand, which in today's much more transparent social media driven world is happening more and more. Okay. So there's a gap in our understanding of what brand is. And, and on the HR side, there's really a gap in how we look at employees because too often we're looking at them as employees, which is a terrible word that we shouldn't use. And it's terrible because it, it refers to a person by one thing they are or do. You know, so from nine to five or eight to six or whatever the hours are, I'm here working for you. Uh, and it allows you to think that that's my identity. I'm an employee of company X. In fact, that's just a small part of who I am and, and what I do. And many employers, I think, tend to, tend to think that uh, they've automatically earned your loyalty because they're giving you a paycheck. But most of the great quality that we need from people is the above and beyond. You know, you can check the box and get your paycheck, but the brilliance and the magic comes from when you're firing on all cylinders and you're showing up with your full self and you're bringing all your passion and brilliance and ingenuity to the work you're doing. And you don't buy that with a paycheck. You buy that by treating people as people and demonstrating empathy and really understanding what inspires them. When we start to get rid of these, these two fallacies, the you know one that brand is a thing I've created and owned, and second, that we can sort of take employees for granted because we're, we're giving them a paycheck, then you can start to see that the mission of both of these organizations is really the same. It's about creating an experience for people, human beings, that gets them excited about this company and what it stands for and the impact it's trying to have in the world, what we would call their brand, what they stand for, and makes them show up and fire on all cylinders. And that requires all of the art and science of marketing communications and all of the heart and empathy that should be at the root of the HR profession. Oh, that was so well said. I was just taking a look at the moment when you said it, so I have the minutes and the seconds to, 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 to go back to uh, right after. So, so, from an audience perspective, as, I'm, as I, I'm trying to kind of put myself in their state, what we just talked about is creating 
and I'm looking at our notes, Department of Human Experience or something like that. I think, John, maybe you, you mentioned it in our earlier discussions. And Adam, you, you just kind of took us down into, you know, deep immersion where we started talking about understanding the human, the humans that make the brand, make the organization, right? So, and, and we're, we're operating in broad strokes. There's so much to unpack here. We could spend hours on the first item, the second item, but we're staying high level. What happens next? Where, where, where do we go from here? So, again, I... As a marketer, you're always doing market research. And based on that research, you're making decisions of how you're going to communicate. And I, I, I was just thinking about all of the internal research we do, the Gallup 13 question, for example, which so many companies use. How often have their sort of HR gets the surveys, they then you know, get sent out to the department heads, and then what happens next? Wouldn't it be great if actually HR could reach out to the marketing guys? Hey, listen, this is this is what our research has shown us. This is our internal. This is what people think about us internally. Let's ha let's have a brainstorm about how we could actually start communicating differently, and see if we're actually going to move certain needles when we redo the research a year later, which in turn is going to it, it's measurable that actually we change the way we think about communication, we change the way we communicate it. So, so I really, again, I think I'm always gonna go back to, if I was today in HR, I'd want to really understand all of the modern tools that marketers are using to communicate. I know I'm gonna be faced with a couple of challenges now, and I'll give you one. <clears throat> Uh, marketers are always looking at reviews and the attention they pay to negative reviews is massive. Too often in HR, when there's a negative review, it's, ah, no, that's not true. Ah, no, 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 that's the, that's the bad, I don't, don't need to listen to that. As opposed to saying, wow, we need to really go and listen. Is this a point? Is this something that's, that's bigger? So, so the tools are so similar. We've just never actually said to each other, what do you have? What do I have? How am I using what I have? How are you using what you have? And, and then how can we gel together? John, it's fascinating. Even the, the choice of words, as those two worlds are being compared, you didn't say survey, you said research. Right? That, that in itself is fascinating. You say the word survey, inside organizations and you get this oh not another survey oh and then there's ah oh for many reasons yeah. over survey fatigue all kinds of things just listen to them it's fascinating adam would you build on that on that or would you take it further uh well i'll try it's hard to it's hard to build on what john says because he says it so well and he's right um so i i, I do think there's there's a tool set that both uh, functions today have, and each function could learn from the other. I, I, I want to add a few a few points here. One is, as a former marketer, I think marketing itself deserves a bit of criticism here, or at least uh, a nudge toward, toward doing it better. Some of the companies I admire most, I think, are still learning how to engage people in an authentic way. So I'll give you a couple of examples. 
Um, I love American Express. I think it's an amazing brand. As a, as a customer, I love them. Every time I have a problem, they solve it. It's great and it's delightful every time. But I get these emails from them periodically uh, that are what I call faux personalization. It's personalized in that they've attached my name to it, Dear Adam. But then the rest of it is showing me either recommendations for cards that they should know I don't need, or it's showing me imagery that's not at all relevant to me and my life. And so it's, it's clear that they've taken advantage of a, of a technology feature like mail merge to sort of personalize the engagement, but it's also so obvious to me that there wasn't a person on the other end of that that actually knows me or cares about me. And it would be much the same if you met a person and they came up to you and said, hey, Adam, and then everything else they said afterwards was totally irrelevant to you. So mm -hmm. that's, that's one thing. I think marketing hasn't figured that out yet. Or every time I travel to another country, whether it's for business or pleasure, I suddenly start seeing in my Twitter feed ads that are completely irrelevant to me, like ads for car dealerships in the other country, as if Twitter and the marketers behind these ads have no idea that sometimes people travel to a country for a vacation and have no intention of buying a car there. So marketing has a lot to learn about being relevant. And I think HR should take the best of what marketing has, but go even further and make it a really human experience. Ultimately, I think where the world is heading, and this is a great thing, is a demand for greater authenticity and greater relevance and greater empathy and the delivery of meaningful uh, offerings, products, services that really address actual human needs. And that's equally true whether that person is paying you as a customer or you're paying them as an employee. Either way, you still want those people out there talking up your company and talking about how great it is. And remember, your employees may also be your customers. And if not, they probably know some of your customers. So we have to recognize we don't, people don't live in one box. They never did. But now we can see how little they aren't living in that same box. Adam, can I build on that too? Sure. Because I would certainly, if I was running an HR department today, I'd go to the CMO and say, what course should I go on? Is yeah. there a course at Kellogg, uh, Harvard Business School, where I can actually start learning? Because the CMO is always putting his team on courses and there's a budget there. And by the way, often the education budget is controlled by HR. So therefore they can steal a bit for themselves. But can you imagine if actually, if, I, if I'm running HR and I say to the CEO, by the way, I wanna go on this course at Kellogg because I actually want to be able to be a better communicator. I want to understand more of how I can bring the, 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 the purpose of our company to life in a more powerful way. The CEO's gonna say, wow, yeah, of course. Um, that makes sense. Why am I thought of it? my brain is melting with all the directions as, as we're sharing it. And Adam, your call out of, you know, from HR, look at marketing as a baseline, go beyond. And what John said in the beginning of the conversation, when he said, we know more about this audience than any other, 
and you combine those together and say, if HR folks begin to think like marketers and begin to get educated and partner with marketing, that's like, that's a whole, obviously there are some, you know, two sides of this coin. We're trying to be more authentic, yet we're understanding them better by looking at more data. So we need to continue to think about the world that we live in so that we don't create more of automation at the risk of making things less human. However, knowing them will come through looking at the data, understanding their context, which is, I'm actually curious to go there next. And uh, almost every conversation with a champion inside the organization eventually gets into let's talk data. What kind of data? And we're not talking about collecting more data. We're not, we're not saying let's track more. We're simply asking in order to understand them, what data would we look at? in that context. When you ask a marketer, what data would you like about the customer? They, I think, typically would say all of it. Let's figure out later which piece is relevant. All right, go ahead, Adam. Wow, this is a really, a really tough one. Um, <laughs> be, and let's leave any privacy issues aside. I mean, that, that's a whole other, that's a whole other issue. Indeed. Um, so mostly I would want to understand how people are currently experiencing the company down, you know, from the level of their own job, their own manager, their team, but also the, the broader company. What does it make them feel like? Um, you know, is it fulfilling to them? Uh, is it meaningful? Is it the kind of place they'd want their child to work at? I can't tell you how many executives I've interviewed across many, many client engagements who have said they would not want their kid to work at their company. And I think that's about as powerful an indictment as you can get. Uh, so I want to know their people's ex, you know, current experience of, of, their, of their organization, but I also want to know what is it that gets them excited? What are they really passionate about? Uh, you know, if you get hired in the company today, uh, let's say you're hired as a as a marketer uh, and you're doing traditional brand management, but you also happen to be uh, a brilliant photographer or you play a musical instrument at near virtuoso levels. For the most part, your company doesn't care about that. But maybe there's some value in there of tapping into that. And the more we understand the whole person, and not just the skill set that's related to that job, the more value we can we can get from people, and the more of a contribution they can make. So, you know, that's another class of data, and probably not finally, but I think we need to understand behaviors. What are people actually doing? Uh, you know, are they showing up to these town halls? Are they reading the emails that the company? sends out constantly about some new program or other? Are they taking action on, you know, when a new initiative is launched? Who are they talking to? How are they actually collaborating? I mean, these, these things are important. And I think so much of, and you're probably way more of an expert on, on data than I am, but I, I feel like in my career, I've seen organizations, both on the marketing and the HR side, measure the things that are easy to measure, not necessarily the things that are important and really matter. And 
you can tend to go really wrong really quickly when you measure what's easy as opposed to measuring what matters. Yeah. John, did you want to jump in there before I respond? Because lots of awesome points by Adam. You respond because I was, I'm, what I was going to say is going to take us on a tiny bit of a red herring, but bit further left, but so go ahead. Cool. Let's see if mine isn't, isn't one of those either, because for me, the question comes of the audience. What, what is, what is an audience? Let's pick an audience to focus on. And, and I often think about managers and their role in the organization and the employee experience, because we know Gallup and they've been on, we understand that the vast majority, 70 plus percent of your employee experience is about the manager. People don't leave the organization, they leave the manager. Okay. If we park that and we ask the question, well, managers are super busy. Everyone is busy. Everyone's not, no notifications, all these things happening. So if you took data by understanding the context, and the context could be uh, initiatives, it could be project management, collaboration data, you look at the digital footprint and then you inform the manager on, on the type of conversations you, you suggested that they should have. And also, you, you all know I'm passionate about nudges because people are overwhelmed. They're not going to read long emails. So for me, my mind goes to how do we nudge the manager? Not all managers are going to act. There are some managers that are disengaged or they should never have become managers because this is people leadership is not their thing. Um, but how do we think about managers as, as the audience? And again, bringing forward the question of data. So I'm, I, you, I, I'll jump in with where my mind had gone because it's almost relevant to you. I, I was really impacted. I was fortunate enough to spend a couple of days at the Pentagon and their HR. Um, I was actually, at the time, trying to understand women in the army so that we could bring in, how could we do a better job with women at hire? And what really struck me was the way, even after two years, they already know who they want to re-sign after four, and those who they feel, nah, you, four years is gonna be right. And they start communicating with them differently. The next big one for the army is when they hit 10 years because they only want the creme de la creme to sign on for the next 10, because they're gonna say, if you do 10, you're gonna do 20. But what struck me was the way they communicate differently. And so, I mean, and then I said, how do I bring that back, back to the corporate world? Well, a whole bunch of people are gonna be you know, ready for promotion for the next year. How do we communicate with them very differently so we keep them motivated while they know that it's going to happen and we want to keep them engaged and, and excited and there's a whole bunch of those and then there's a bunch of people who've actually they've reached their peak how do we communicate with them we still need them to stay but we, we're probably going to communicate in a very different manner and um when you start going into that minutiae of how do we get to that one-on-one -on -one, Mm -hmm. very personalized communication. Um, I think you're, you, you're able to actually be far more effective in, 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 in targeting the message you want to get across. Totally with you. Adam, I, th did I see you wanting to jump in there too? Oh, yeah. Just uh, th there's, there's a sort of um, false choice we're all encouraged to make between you know, uh, data and creativity or, or, you know, data and humanity. 
And this is a false choice. You know, as humans, we use data all the time in how we interact with other people. When I, when I learn about John and over the years have seen how John shows up and makes decisions and how he inspires people and how he reacts to certain kinds of ways of engagement and versus others, that's data in my brain. Okay, that's just information organized in some way that I learn from to hopefully be better. And so I do think we have to stop with the false dichotomy of data or creativity, data or humanity. It's, it's both. We do have to learn more about our employees, the people on our team, the people who've committed themselves to the success of the organization. And there's a ton of stuff that... I think we'd be better off learning about people than maybe what we've tracked in the past. This is not my expertise, but I can tell you I've I've worked at companies before that did their uh, biannual uh, pulse survey. And because of exactly the way they did the questions and how they analyzed it, comes out looking great. Wow, we got these great scores. And yet everyone I talked to is miserable. So it's it's the role of people who are in the data world and data scientists to start to get us better at designing metrics and capturing data about the stuff that matters. But if we can do that, we can understand human sentiment better. I think sentiment analysis is a really cool way of measuring how, how people are feeling. So there are, there are ways we can now, with better technology and better tools, really understand the human experience better. And that's, that's the key. You know, so however it is that the data experts translate that into what they want to measure, up to them, and that's, that's not my bailiwick, but there, you, know, you can't fly blind. And at enterprise level, I think you're right, the managers play a critical role because they're in the front lines with those employees and they have an actual human experience and a human connection with them, hopefully, not all managers. Uh, and their translation of the stories they're hearing and the sentiment they're feeling should always be part of that data, whether it's delivered you know, digitally or delivered in the old fashioned way of just talking to senior executives. Uh, so managers play a critical role, but at the enterprise level, if you're talking about a large company, you're going to have to somehow capture data in a scalable way. And so I, I do think this is critical because if we start measuring the wrong things, we're going to go down a very bad path. But if the technology that we have allows us to measure in a smart way, my God, I mean, the, the level of insight we can unearth into the human experience is, is amazing. Quick, quick example, like social media started and, you know, you, you were able to, like something or thumbs up, you know, or smiley face or whatever. And too many people started misinterpreting that to mean, oh, these are my friends. They, they hit like on a post. Those are my friends. When in reality, they may not give a crap about you as a human being. They just hit like because it's easy. Or brands started to, to, to talk about that as engagement. Look how engaged people are. Well, you know what? It costs zero cents for me to hit like on a thing, but it may cost money for me to buy your product. And so we started 
because that's the data we had, we had likes and we had smiley faces, uh, we misinterpreted that data to mean these are engaged consumers. That's nonsense. If you were at a dinner party and, and someone's reaction to something you said was just to do this and that's it, you would not say that person was highly engaged in the conversation. So th this part, the data is so critical because data almost becomes religion. Once we capture those numbers and we analyze them, people take that as the gospel. And if it's untrue, and if we measured the wrong stuff or we measured it badly, we're gonna draw the wrong conclusions. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to folks like you and, and, and your company, ProHabits, really helping us capture the right data and measure it and analyze it in a way that it can be really useful. I appreciate appreciate Adam. Yeah, and on occasion I do I do bring up our habits and the work that we do to make act, you know insights actionable. The question of taking those insights and, and what's next with it, especially at the manager level. And on a, the example that I keep coming back to over and over again, this happened you know to me. Let's say you're sick for for a bit, and then you get back to work, and the first day, you know you've got six, seven, eight meetings, right? But your manager is not, you're working remotely, and many folks are, and they, they don't know that. Would it be important for them to know that, that you now have this many meetings? Right? And meetings could be with separate folks in the organization. Would it be important to know, for example, that, hey, you know, where I am, it's not snowing, but the person I'm about to talk to, it is, right? And, and the manager should, they should, but if you have 10 folks and you nonstop meetings yourself and your own life taking place, how do we take those insights, make them actionable so the manager has a choice, right? It's, they still choose to, to act on this information and those insights, but to give them that choice. Um, but I don't want to drift further there because I, I, I have to, you know, stop myself on occasion and just say, okay, take a breath before, because I'll, I'll unleash. But what I want to get us back on the path, because we talked about this, this, this department of, you know, human experiences, and we keep talking, we're coming back to human experiences. We talked about the deep understanding of the human needs. You know, we talked about some of the skills that we think for HR to begin to, to build on. Um, what, what do we give as a takeaway for folks that are listening to this? Yes, I think courses are great and having a lunch, I think we mentioned with your CMO would be excellent. Um, in our discussions, we kind of briefly mentioned maybe pick a project let's see if we can add some color to how to make it practical. If you're listening to this and you're in, in one of the functions of HR and you're saying to yourself, yeah, this sounds good. How do we suggest for them to go take, pick a project that's on, the, on their plate and go talk to marketing to collaborate? Adam, maybe to you first, what would be a piece of advice that's actionable that someone can take away from this discussion? I'm going to give a quick overview. And first of all, if you're if you're an HR leader out there and you know you 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 understand the future and the present and you recognize that we have to be delivering uh, better human experiences to people and better inspiration and better better workplaces uh, um, thank you because you're doing really important work we spend a lot of time at, you know at our jobs whether we're working from home or working in an office the majority of our waking hours are probably spent working. And when that's a terrible experience, it makes life terrible. And when it's a great experience, it makes life great. So what you're doing is hugely important. And it's super hard work because you're not often given the seat at the table 
that you deserve and need. So first of all, thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Um, you know, so much of the work that John and I do is really in service of, of making HR leaders uh, more, you know, more and better able to do the work that they know they have to do in their hearts. So that's, that's my just shout out to the HR leaders out there. John and I were talking about this and we thought, and we, we can go into greater depth and maybe John can do that. We, we thought there were really four things that, that these kinds of, H, of HR leaders can, can do to make, make the kind of contribution they wanna make. So the first is do a really deep immersion into the workforce, not just the surveys, but actually have conversations with people at all levels, people of you know, new tenure and long tenured employees, the old and the young, um, people in different regions and departments and functions and all of that to really understand at a very personal level what is going right for them, what is going wrong for them, what are their hopes and dreams and all that. So that's one, is really understand in a very human way. The second is to make a case for change to CEOs and, and CFOs on why it's worth investing more in the employee experience. And that case for change can't be another PowerPoint deck because honestly, you can count on one hand the number of PowerPoint decks that have changed anything. Uh, I think heads of HR, leaders within HR need to learn how to create more immersive, impactful, compelling experiences that trigger that aha moment for CEOs and CFOs about why they need to invest here. The third thing is what John mentioned about developing skills. And we could, we could talk more about that because the skills required for today and the future in HR, at least in that employee facing part of HR, are all about experience design, not just communication, but what, what is that day one and day two experience? John said it's about usually about telling you all the ways you could get fired. That's probably not the wisest way. And then finally, uh, as, as, as John said, start collaborating on a few projects. And there are a couple of obvious examples that I think HR and marketing can easily collaborate on. One is employer brand. Uh, both, both HR and marketing are presenting the brand of the company to different constituencies. And I think that could be done in a more aligned way. And I think another possible uh, project they could collaborate on is redesigning the onboarding experience. I think, uh, I think marketing could, could really bring some secret sauce to that. And obviously HR has expertise there. That's great, and, and marketing of jumping into onboarding conversation for for new for new employees joining the organization. What what a great moment in time, John. This this is where you begun. One of your examples was like you know we talk about how great the company is, and when someone starts, we go in a whole other direction, and that's how we onboard them. That's a great example, John. What what about you? What what advice would you give folks listening to to make it to to, to take the next step? So to be effective, one's got to look at all the work streams within the organization. And, and, and the one I always love to start with is rituals. And how do we actually become better at storytelling? Because storytelling works internally as much as it works externally. And one of the things we always love to see, meeting, so usually meetings start with numbers, numbers, numbers. Nobody's really listening, nobody's really engaged. But if you actually start every meeting with tell me a story, tell me a story about something that's happened to you, to a colleague, something you witnessed, something you saw, 
that actually embraces the culture of our company. That starts the whole thinking of, and I, I always find if you start a meeting with tell me a story, you have a different meeting because everybody's warmed up and it, 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 it really brings the openness of the organization. And, it, and even if in HR, I walk into the CMO's office and start my whole conversation, I'm telling a story. Um, first time the CMO's going, well, what do you mean tell me a story? Well, tell me a story, something that's happening. And to you, to your team. Or, um, and then look at the other, other work streams and where you can actually have an effect um, by work streams, uh, whether it be life conditions, whether it be organization structure, whether it be Adam help me, whether it be... Um, what you're measuring, uh, org structure, even the design of the physical or virtual office, all are ways of connecting people with the brand. And we find usually when we fail with communication, it's because we actually haven't figured out all of the work streams and how to actually communicate it through the whole breadth of the organization. Um, and, and we're still learning that, to be honest with you, how to do it, and it takes time. I think the, the other thing which I would say to anybody is that this isn't, uh, something which is going to happen overnight. You've got to look at this as a journey, um, not as just a, a, a tactic. You've got to go and say to yourself, this might take a year, it might take two years. I won't succeed if I try and do it overnight. But measure yourself of how you're going about it um, and realize that over time you're going to be learning your peers are gonna be learning. You'll see things starting to happen where you won't actually get the credit for it, but you'll say, huh, that actually started because I, you know, I'm a year into this and these guys have just suddenly clicked on. And I think too often, we always assume that somebody's gonna understand what we are saying straight away. And the second thing is, we don't repeat what we're trying to do often enough. Mm -hmm. And we feel we've said it once of it. So, so really realize that to bring effective change, to have HR really recognized as the leader of the culture of the organization, a brilliant marketer who understands the internal and external value of our purpose. It takes time. Um, and it, you also need incredible resolve. Because you will get people, ah, you're just in HR, what do you, what do you know? No, actually, I'm, I'm a bit more than that. Um, you're going to have people say, ah, what's he on about? What's she on about? Well, you're going to have hierarchy, people challenging you. What do you want? What are you trying to get? But I think the people who succeed best at this create a roadmap and realize all the time where they are in that roadmap, when they've reached a certain level, but they realize that, um, and if I may just use my favorite analogy, uh, most of us have either had a tennis lesson or a golf lesson. Um, when, I, when you go for a tennis lesson and the pro looks at your serve and they say, well, change your racket like this, hold this and do that. And after about 10 goes, it's working well. And then you go out 
and your first match, you try and get the old your new grip and you throw the ball up and it's out, you throw it up again, it's out, so it's obvious I'm going back to the way I used to do it. The great pro realizes what he's got to change or she's got to change and realizes it's going to take 10 lessons to get there and does it slowly. So that the actual tennis player doesn't realize after the 10th lesson that they've actually changed. And that's a unique skill. And, and I think HR had that skill to go and say, this isn't gonna happen overnight, but I can set a foundation, I can set a roadmap, and I will gently watch as this organization changes as we build our internal culture to a level where there's no difference between our, what our internal culture is and what we're actually telling the, the world who we are. Start the journey, start the journey one step at a time. Yep. Um, you know what, um, if I may just jump in for a second, Adam, I mean, we all know HR tends to be seen as a cost center. Uh, in, in some companies, marketing is also seen as a cost center, but in, but in some as a, as, a, as a profit center. You know that old saying, you should act, act the job you want to have. Uh, I think HR leaders should start acting the job they want to have. And I don't mean that as a criticism of them at all. I think if, Mark, if HR leaders start to see themselves as owners of the brand for the constituency of the workforce and not just the current workforce, uh, candidates and prospects and the future workforce, but also the past workforce that are alums, that's for many companies a vast audience that is absolutely marketable to. And not just marketing the marketing the employment opportunity, but in a packaged goods, you know, in a consumer business, for example, your workers can also be your consumers and their family members can be your consumers and their friends can be your consumers. This is a group of people that any CMO would kill to have, this army of influencers who have signed up to be at that company all day, they've already expressed an interest and a sense of loyalty, and they're ready. Treat them right, listen to them well, train them to be great brand ambassadors, and set them loose. And that is a marketing channel, an asset that's invaluable, invaluable way, more, uh, way more valuable than a couple of influencers that clearly don't give a crap about the brand, but are just paid to pretend they care about the brand. So start to see your job in HR as a brand manager, uh, and, and you'll start shifting your behaviors in line with that. Recognize you also own that brand, and you're responsible for preserving it and enhancing it and putting it out there and learning about it and delivering it and inspiring people about it, and just start showing up that way. And the more you can do it in collaboration with, with you know, uh, the marketing department, as John said, the more powerful it will be. But the, the first is a mind shift, a recognition that it's my job to put our brand out into the world. HR, to, to own the brand for the internal constituents and create ambassadors. Adam and John, I, I wish we had hours. I, I hope I did a service to take the brilliance that, that, that you offer through this conversation. There's so let's let's do this again. Let's do it again for a couple hours and create a part two. Adam and John, thank you both.
Thanks a lot, Adam. You're awesome. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Over and out. Bye.